Hello and welcome to the SSNC Alps Advisors 14ers podcast. I'm Paul Bayaki, Chief ETF Strategist at SSNC Alps Advisors. Happy to welcome my friend, Rob McClure, Director of Research at SSNC Alps Advisors to the podcast. How you doing, Rob? Yeah, great. And, and thanks. Thanks for having me, Paul. It's, uh, it's, it's good, to, good to be with you again. Um, just a, a, a bit of background on the research team. This is a, a team. We have nine folks on the team um, uh, that have been, has been built up really over the past couple of years. And we're focused on all of the major asset classes as well as quantitative research. The reason we, we put this team together is to have a focus on investments and really have an investment-led organization where we're really trying to help our advisor clients help navigate uh, the market, which, as you know, Paul, is pretty, uh, pretty difficult right now, to be honest, um, at, in terms of asset allocation. Uh, and, and as a result, we formed an investment committee that meets quarterly to formulate our views on the market, which we'll share with you today. Great. And, and I think that's a, a nice, succinct way to describe the team and, and what you guys are trying to do. And I think that's a nice segue into where we're at. The, it is a challenging environment, to your point, and advisors, investors of all shapes and sizes are always looking for unique perspectives and guidance on various asset classes. And, and I think the unique nature of the team and the backgrounds, the varied backgrounds, and the fact that each team member is contributing in different ways to different segments of, of the outlook puts us on really solid footing as we move into these new opportunities to, to distribute this type of content to the advisors and investors that we work with. So where would you like to start in terms of the outlook? Well, I think why don't we why don't we start with the overall outlook and and in order to do that we the first thing that we do as a team when we're when we're getting together and talking through these views is we take a kind of a a step back and look at the macro picture and the way we do that we have a process for doing that we look at four different cycles um, the liquidity cycle the inflation cycle uh, the growth cycle and the profitability cycle and if we if we take those each in turn, what are we looking at today? Right now, we see that, you know, from a liquidity standpoint, the Fed uh, continues to, you know, strike a tightening tone. So we, we expect liquidity conditions to continue to tighten. From an inflation standpoint, there's some, there's some talk that, that maybe inflation is peaking. Um, but if you look at the, a couple of things, one is the sticky CPI. Um, that the Federal Reserve looks at, which is essentially the core CPI, which has been trending up uh, recently. And, and those things tend to take some time to, to turn around. So we don't expect the, the core CPI to really change much going forward. And the other thing that, that is kind of keeping pace with that is wage growth. And, and so over the past year or so, you've seen those things move up kind of in lockstep. And so until the the Fed might achieve its goal of, of a little bit tougher labor market. Uh, we don't see inflation really changing that much. Uh, from a growth standpoint, we're seeing the, the leading indicators rolling over. While, for example, the ISM is still in expansionary territory, it's, it's come down pretty dramatically over the past several months. 
Uh, so we're seeing PMIs slowing from a growth standpoint. And then from finally, from a profitability standpoint, we're seeing the first signs of earnings expectations in the market starting to, to trend lower. Um, so taking all of those things in turn, we come up with you know, a, a, a difficult market for risk assets at this point. And so the way that we're thinking about it, when we, when we break down the asset classes into equities, fixed income, and real assets, we come down on the side of being underweight equities, which we've, we've been underweight since June of this year, um, neutral on fixed income with, with a preference for shorter duration and active management, and then neutral on real assets. We're, while we're relatively constructive on real assets over the longer term, um, given the demand and supply issues, the uh, kind of the demand destruction that we're, we're thinking are, is going to happen um, leads us to be neutral on that asset class. So in, in general, we'd, we'd be, you know, relatively, you know, uh, cautious on risk assets. And by definition, then we'd, we'd be encouraging clients to, to hold cash as well. Yeah, I, I think in terms of risk assets, the, the interesting thing about this market is just the dispersion we've seen in the risk asset market, whether you look at the sector level, the dispersion between the best and worst performing sectors, or you look at asset classes like market cap buckets or growth versus value, et cetera. And that's distinct from, from what we've seen in, in recent years. And, and if you're cap weighted in the core piece of your equity portfolio, so say the S&P 500, you've got, by definition, if you're neutral, 28% in technology, you've got 12.4% in consumer discretionary, and then you've got another 10% in communication services. So you know, nearly half of your equity exposure is in three sectors, three sectors of which are all sort of growth-oriented, at least in terms of their valuations and, and overall profile. So within the, the risk segment, so within the equity portion of, of the outlook, you know, what, what is the team seeing and how does that impact how advisors and investors should think about the risk portion of their assets? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, and I think it, it, the the point you made about kind of how things have decoupled a little bit is is important. You know, you and I have been at this for for some time. Um, I go back a you know back twenty some years in in equities, and for the majority of our careers, we've seen period a period of low infl uh, low inflation, very low rates. Um, so the cost of capital being relatively low, that benefits companies um, with cash flows that are out into the future. And so that's why the growth stocks worked for so long. And that led to that kind of um, uh, concentration in the market. And so we're starting to see that unwind. And, and the, the, the companies that are being hardest hit by this increase in the, in the discounting mechanism is is in that growth space. We all have seen what, is, what has happened to some of the big tech, um, big tech names over the past week um, as, as they've reported earnings that, that disappointed and guidance that disappointed. And so really what we're seeing in, in, in equities is a return to good, good old-fashioned stock picking where you have a big disconnect between those companies that, that had been the leadership 
and their characteristics versus um, uh, a number of a number of opportunities in some of the lower value, more cyclical sectors. So things like energy and industrials and and uh, um, and that sort of thing is it, it's it's starting to look pretty interesting. Um, in in fact, just as a um, as an aside to that, just taking energy in particular, um, that's a that's a sector where you've had management teams really kind of get the message from investors that they need to focus more on profitability than on growth. And that's starting to show up in the numbers. It's starting to show up in management incentives. And so, you know, we think that, you know, that's a, that's a sector that has long been left for dead. It was at the, I think at the bottom, it was about 3% of the S and P and the, the profitability is starting to really improve there. So while we're underweight equities, we do see, opportunities, especially in the, the value uh, part of the market, as well as the cyclical side. Yeah, I think one of the things that makes the equity market so challenging in this year, especially, is some of these near-term economic trends, macroeconomic trends, geopolitical and political trends that have net negative impacts on certain segments of the market. Those same segments of the market are likely to benefit from some massive tailwinds that are more secular in nature and some of these mega trends that your team talks about and explores in two minute Tuesdays and beyond. And so that's always the push pull of, of these type of outlooks on a rolling basis is how does the near term, medium term changes that, that an advisor makes impact the long term exposures and, and goals that they have and, and the push pull of some of the sector, some of the segments of the market that are better positioned to benefit from those long term megatrends versus the short term macro and, and microeconomic dynamics impacting uh, those segments of the market, which of course makes all this so interesting and, and so compelling and, and so valuable for the folks that we in, fa in fact interact with and the folks that we're going to be engaging with through different means going forward. And I think when you when you talk about fixed income, when you talk about the sort of short duration preference, I think at a high level that's intuitive. You've got an inverted yield curve where your two-year yield at times is significantly higher than your 10-year. And so why would you be 10 years out if you can be two years out with that type of yield profile? And and I guess it's it's more complex than that, obviously, but could you maybe shed a little bit more color on, on sort of the outlook for fixed income and how folks can think about the different segments? Yeah, I think it it, it is relatively simple from from our standpoint as rates are uh, the fed continues to raise rates um, we think that there's we we should stay at, at the shorter duration but um, you know we are seeing some opportunities uh, opportunities on the rate side potentially uh, in the coming months to leg into some of the longer duration assets but at this point we're we're focused on in terms of rates on the shorter duration um, and in terms of, of credit, so there's there's the government section part of the market, and then there's there's credit, corporate credit, and you know credit is 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 an area right now, and this is really what, where we see value in active management, where I, it, it's kind of like the, the the equity market right now uh, being a stock pickers market. I think it's a credit pickers market in, in fixed income. So if you, if if you're if you do the research. Um, and you're selective about credit, um, 
In fact, we're calling it picky about credit. You can find some interesting opportunities within uh, within credit, and like I said, both both in, in in investment grade and high yield, we really have to be selective in where we put our money. So that's we're focused on the shorter duration as of now, um, but uh, but certainly uh, opportunities are are being created on the longer end of the curve that uh, you know we'll probably want to take advantage of at some point in the next several months. So we we touched on fixed income, we've touched on risk assets, but maybe just in terms of getting back to the risk asset segment, because I think, you know, we didn't really dig into U.S. versus international, EM versus developed, and even the sort of different cap buckets. Are there any sort of specific takeaways you can think of from the most recent investment committee re- meeting as it relates to drivers, dynamics to focus on for your international exposure or more specifically domestically between small caps and, and large caps? Yeah, I think that the, the elephant in the room is the dollar as it relates to both the, the comparison of U.S. versus international equities and in the U.S. large cap large caps versus small caps. And the strength of the, of the dollar really favors U.S. equities and small caps over large caps because small caps tend to be more domestically focused and, and dollar-based, whereas the large multinationals will have that FX translation impact um, over the next you know, several quarters. If, you know, if we are at peak dollar, um, there is value outside of the U.S. Um, I'm thinking in, in terms of developed Europe, especially, but, uh, uh, but, you know, given the dollar dynamics right now, we'd probably be keeping our money closer to home, but cognizant of the, of the value opportunity in, in Europe as well. Yeah. And, and it's funny because there are these very meaty headline themes that we've been talking about this year inflation is the biggest right if you if it was a pie chart it'd be more than half and then you've got it you've got rates and then you've got the dollar and all of them relate to one another and they're all sort of symptoms of various macroeconomic and policy positions that have that have evolved over the course of the past couple of years but one of the things that I think gets lost in the conversation about the impact of the dollar, the impact of inflation, the impact of rising rates, et cetera, and, and hawkish policy around the globe is the the other segment of the market that, that doesn't get as much attention, and that's the real asset alternative segment of the market. And you talked a little bit about how you guys are somewhat neutral in near term and maybe more constructive long term. Could you maybe dig into what's in there and what, what specific segments you're thinking about? Yeah, so in terms of real assets, we break it up between commodities and real estate. Um, and, you know, while we continue to see, let's, let's take each in turn. So commodities have historically been a, a very effective hedge on inflation. And that's, you know, because inflation is running at 40-year highs, that's certainly a, a, an arrow in that quiver. Um, the other thing that's, I think secular in commodities is the supply demand dynamic. So there has been very little CapEx in terms of building out commodity supply, and this is pretty much across the board. So the supply constraints remain in place. So over the long term, given 
you know, the impact of inflation as, and even more importantly, the impact of those supply constraints, we're, we're constructive on the asset class. Our view on a tactical basis of being neutral is entirely due to the expected slowdown in the economy, um, as well as the strong dollar. So because most commodities are priced in dollars, um, the strong dollar tends to be a headwind over, over the shorter term. Uh, longer term, again, pretty constructive, and then, and then shorter term, uh, neutral due to the, the, head, the headwinds of the, of, uh, of the dollar and demand. Um, in terms of real estate, which is another you know, good hedge against inflation over time, because, and I'm, I'm speaking of publicly traded real estate in the form of REITs, these are companies that have the ability to raise, raise rents over time and the value of the, of the underlying assets tend, tends to track inflation. Uh, it's been a tough year for real estate equities. Um, I think the last time I looked, uh, REITs on average were down about 25% year to date. And that has exposed some opportunities within the real estate market. Uh, so within real estate, while we'd be uh, underweight, some of the some of the areas with headwinds related to work from home and uh, online online shopping, so like retail and office, we'd be underweight. But we'd be overweight some of the some of the the, the areas where there are tailwinds, such as industrial, um, residential, and self storage. So much like the equity market overall, within it, within REITs, we do see opportunity, but on balance, are pretty neutral. Awesome. This was this was really enlightening, and and I think you did a great job of of covering the the high level themes that are impacting the decision making process. What the framework is for your team, and and how folks who listen to this going forward can think about what we're trying to achieve with the the investment committee, the multi asset research teams, content and collateral and, and output. And I thank you for for taking the time today. And I look forward to us doing this more regularly, not just after investment committee meetings, but also on a more regular cadence with the 14ers podcast to allow folks to get some insights intra quarter, as opposed to just on some rolling quarterly basis. So thanks again, Rob. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for for having me, Paul. I always always have fun doing these things. Looking forward to to doing it again soon. And um, to everybody who's listening, good luck in this market because I think we're all going to need it. Yeah. Well. Well said. <laughs>